Isn't this just an interesting week, that week between New Year's and Christmas? Where it's just like 10 feet of snow and nothing happening and everybody's wore out from the holidays and it's just so quiet. I actually really enjoy the week because it seems like about the least stress week of the year to me. Uh, Next week, I want to let you know, give you a heads up, we have uh, Brian Ace, he's going to be speaking next week. And we don't get to hear from Brian a lot these days, but Brian is the uh, former senior pastor here at Mount Helena Community Church. He lives in Churchill near Bozeman today, and he's part of the oversight team for the church. And he's going to be up here sharing with us next Sunday. You do not want to miss it. Brian and his wife, Margaret, are going to be headed to South Africa for three months, or at least that was the original plan. It kind of is getting, getting rearranged a little bit. But Brian has been asked to serve on the leadership, the global leadership team of Regions Beyond, which is the network of churches that we belong to. And so that's a huge opportunity for him, and they're actually going to be spending, like I said, three months in South Africa, serving some churches there, serving some leaders, and I'm just very excited to see Brian take a step into this part of his destiny, this part of who God call, whose God has called him to be. And it's been a long season since he stepped down from leadership here and transitioned over to us. And, and uh, you know, he's been being a lawyer, but involved in some ministry stuff and whatnot. And, and so he's got some stuff he wants to share with us next week about that. You do not want to miss next week. Brian is, uh, like I've heard him say so many times of guest speakers or guys that went before him, he'd say, that guy's my hero. Well, Brian's one of my heroes. So you want to be here uh, next week to hear from him. Actually, if you enjoy the attitude or atmosphere or heart of this church, um, you can attribute a lot of that to Brian and what he planted in us over the years and what he taught us and how he taught us the scripture and how he taught us about having uh, the right attitude towards one another and and use of the scripture. And we're going to talk even a little bit about uh, use of scripture and stuff today. So, Janie mentioned during worship, she said, you know, she talked about reflecting on the year. And it seems like this is an obvious time to do that. You know, I think a lot of cynical people would be like, ah, you should have New Year's resolutions whenever, you know, you should be able to change whenever, and that's true. But uh, how many of you do the New Year's resolution thing? How many of you are going to start off the New Year, I'm doing something different? Not very many of you. And that's actually statistically very true that uh, we don't necessarily do the New Year's resolution thing because we've read all the statistics about why they don't work. Uh, But the reality is that when you set goals to do things differently, you write them down, you adhere to them, it can change the way that you live. So here we are at the end of 2017, and one thing that I do, I do this frequently in my life, but the end of the year is a significant time to do that, is take inventory, examine, take some time to look back on my year. Inside your program today, there was a handout that uh, was given to you. There's a number of extras, and I forgot where the extras are, but if you need one, where are those extras? Does anybody know where those went? Okay. We have extras of those for those handouts, but it's something for those handouts, but it's something for you maybe to consider, and I'll talk a little bit more about it as we go. But it seems like oftentimes there's two extremes in this situation. You got One camp of people that doesn't even think about yesterday because it's all about tomorrow. And 
don't face the realities of what happened in the last year. The fact is that this last year had many highlights, had many good things that happened. Uh, we had a great year as a church. I would encourage you, if you're a member of the church, come to that members meeting. I got some good stuff to share with you about you know, risks we took in faith and how God has blessed us over the last year. But there were also things in the last year that were really difficult. We, as individuals, we all had difficult things that happened, things that hurt, things that were painful, things that we don't really want to reflect on, because it's hard to look back and go, what happened this year? What was my year like? Well, I want to encourage you in two things. First of all, evaluate your last year. Take the time, if you have time this afternoon or this evening, take the time to think, what happened this year? What were the things this last year that I can celebrate? What are the highlights for me? Just those wonderful things that happened. And then take the time to go, what, what hurt? What was frustrating about this last year? What was disappointing about this last year? What were the negative things that happened this last year? It's a healthy thing to do. Because when we examine our lives and we look at the circumstances, hopefully we learned something. Did you learn something this last year? You're definitely a little older. Are you a little wiser? Older or maybe not as wise after this last year's experience? When we take inventory of our lives and we examine ourselves, we can reflect upon the things that have, been, that have happened and that we can learn from over the last year. And hopefully, the things we learned make us wiser. Are you going into 2018 wiser than you went into 2017? Are you going into the year with more wisdom than you had when you started? Hopefully, the answer is yes for all of us. But if we don't take the time to consider what God taught us in the last year, we're not really going to know. Corinthians chapter, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves. Look at yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Galatians 6.4 says, But let each one test his own work, and let then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. The scripture encourages us to take the time to look at ourselves and think, where am I at? What have I done? What am I doing? And then there's more natural questions like, is it productive? Is it helpful? Was it fruitful what I endeavored to do? Something that the scripture encourages us to do. Reflect upon your life. Reflect upon what you've done. Reflect upon what's happened. And see what you see there. When I was a little kid, pretty young, I, I had a Bible. Um, I'm probably, I can't remember now, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, somewhere in there. And Proverbs was probably my favorite book of the Bible. At that time, it still is, it's in the running for one of my favorites. And even one of my children said the other day, it's one of her favorites. Because you can just read it, and it's just one sentence that has something brilliant in it. You just read the one sentence, and there's something brilliant in a proverb. I love Proverbs. I love the, the Bible book of Proverbs. I love other Proverbs that you see, that you can find. Because they're helpful in getting us some wisdom, some understanding, and some knowledge. Do you desire to be wise? You know, that, there's that passage I was, you know, I was reflecting when I was a kid. I remember reading in Proverbs, and there's a, there's a passage in there that talks about wisdom 
wisdom like she's a, a woman that's calling out to people, saying, come sit at my table, come learn from me, come gain something. What I have for you is more valuable than any treasure. And, and wisdom is presenting herself like that. And I remember as a little kid going, I want that. And when you read the story of Solomon, when he became the king of all of Israel, and God appeared before him and asked, because Solomon had done all this significant sacrificing and things, God said, what do you want me to, what do you want from me? And Solomon could have asked for treasure. He could have asked for anything. He asked for wisdom to lead the people. And God blessed Solomon significantly because of his decision to desire wisdom. Do you desire to be wise? Do you desire to be wiser than you were last year? It's important for us to desire it. It begins in the scripture. How do we gain, how do we gain wisdom? We find it in the scripture. Theodore Roosevelt has a great quote. He says, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. so important to understand the scripture, to read it and to know it, because from it is where you're going to gain the wisdom. There's a lot of good wisdom in the world that could be gained, but the scripture is the foundation for it. God himself exemplifies wisdom. And the more we understand about God and his nature, the more we understand what is wise. The scripture helps us see beyond the natural. See, we have this tendency, and you'll see this theme recurring in the things I have to share with you today. Mankind has a tendency to evaluate things purely scientifically, purely in what he can see, taste, touch, smell, or hear. If it isn't within that realm, he doesn't believe it. You have to prove it. Scientific thinking requires a proving that can be seen, that we can understand. But we understand also that by the script, when we read the scripture, we understand there's a realm and an activity outside of everything we can see, touch, taste, smell, or hear called the spirit realm. We can't see it. I can't prove it to you in a scientific fashion. I can't prove to you scientifically that God exists. There's lots of good stuff out there that points towards the science and those kind of things, pointing towards God. But God remains a mystery, and he does so on purpose, because faith is what God desires of his people. It takes faith to please God. It takes faith to believe in the message. And when we read the scripture, it it increases our faith. When we hear the word of God, it stirs it up, and we can see beyond the natural. We begin to understand that there's something going on beyond what we can see. It's an interesting thing about humanity that most people would agree that there is a concept of intuition in the world. Or most people believe in a quote-unquote, higher power. So mankind, in general, has the sense that there's something more, but what he decides to believe about that is always a challenge. Well, if I can't see it, if you can't prove it to me scientifically, it doesn't exist. Well, this is why a thorough knowledge of the Scripture is so important to having true wisdom. So understand the Scripture is so important, component of that. How else do we gain wisdom? We look at, we look at the Scriptures and... We weigh life according to the scriptures. Do you judge the scripture according to your experiences or do you judge your experiences according to scripture? There's a very important differentiation there. What about our experiences? When I asked you about this last year and you think of something painful, did you learn from a painful experience? 
You stuck your finger in the light socket? You gained some wisdom? You ever done that? Some of us don't learn by other people telling us. We have to do it ourselves. Uh, The movie The Christmas Story? You know where I'm going with this? If you stick your tongue to the flagpole, it will stick when it's cold outside. Now, who as a kid saw that on TV and believed it and gained some wisdom from somebody else's pain? you got to be smart. You look at someone else's pain and you gain wisdom from that pain. But you have pain of your own. And our painful experiences teach us things about life and teach us things about ourselves and teaches us things about God. And so it's, it's why it's important sometimes not to just bury our head in the sand when it comes to painful experiences, but to actually reflect upon them and go, how am I wiser because of that experience? What did I learn about myself and about God because of a painful experience? Or what did I learn about ice-cold flagpoles? <laughs> wisdom from observing. We get wisdom from pain. Wisdom, uh, Job says... Uh, In chapter 12, verse 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. I mean, there's a lot of truth to the the concept that the older you get, hopefully the wiser you get. Why? Because you've had so many experiences that it expands your understanding about life. I'm not meaning to pick on you real young, early 20-year-olds, but I'll just pick on myself. How's that? When I was 20 years old, I was one of the most idealistic people you would ever have met. I don't see anybody nodding, (laughs) those that remember. What would I tell myself if I could go back and have a conversation with that kid? When I sit across the table from a young man or a young woman or a young couple, there are certain things, you know, my oldest daughter is getting married this next summer, and we're going to do lots of things, yeah, that's exciting. We're going to do lots of things in preparation for that day. But those of us that have been married a while understand something. You're never, ever really ready to be married. You just don't get it until you're in it. And you do a lot of preparation and build character so that when you get there and you're going through those things, you can get through it in a healthy manner. Some bumps in the road early on, and those bumps teach us wisdom but here I am now, looking back 20 years and going, you could have told me that until I, I was, you were blue in the face. I wasn't going to get it until I experienced it myself, until I had to walk through that process myself. So we get older and we get wiser. I've, I've, sometimes it's interesting. You'll notice, uh, particularly an elderly person in a conversation, oftentimes won't have much to say, when the reality is they probably have the most to say about the situation. But they're, I can imagine they're just looking at, you young whippersnapper. I could say it, but you're not going to hear it. I could tell you about life, and I could tell you about experience, and I could tell you what is wise, but you're not going to hear it from me. You're going to have to walk through some of those things yourself to gain wisdom for yourself. But if you are one of those 20-something young, young people, look at other people's lives and try and gain wisdom now. Because we can gain so much by observing other people's lives and experiences, observing our parents, observing our friends, and going, I learned something from someone else's experience. But the reality is, for most of us, 
We just have to do it ourselves to gain the experience. Wisdom is with the aged. Time and experience help us become more wise. Now, there is another option that you see with time and age well, and it's called bitterness. The more time goes by and the more experiences you have and the pain of life, rather than gleaning wisdom and charging on, we do have the opportunity to simply choose to become bitter people. Life hurts sometimes. And I'm not going to participate in it anymore. I'm just going to plug along, keep my mouth shut until I die. Bitterness is an evil thing in the world that creeps into our hearts and robs us of life. But I would challenge you today, choose wisdom, not bitterness. Choose to continue to grow. Choose to continue to sow into other people's lives. Don't grow bitter with experience. Of course, you don't have to be old to be wise. It does help. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. What's Solomon telling us? Better. Better is the young, wise person with nothing. They're better off than an old and foolish king who has everything and can't take counsel anymore. This is the wisdom of the Scripture. This is actually, in a lot of ways, the, the wisdom literature of Scripture. You know, in the book, books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs contradict typical human worldly thinking on a regular basis. I'd rather be the king. I'd rather have everything. Well, would you really? Because the wisdom of the Scripture teaches us otherwise, that actually you're better off to be the wise and poor young person than the old and foolish king. Let's talk about knowledge and wisdom. I've talked about this a lot off and on over the years. This morning during the baby dedication, there was the word there about the sword and being able to wield the sword. Knowledge and wisdom are different. They're different. There's a proverb, not, not a scriptural one, but it says, knowledge without wisdom... It's like water in the sand. There's nothing to be gained from it. You just pour it on the sand and it's gone. It's not graspable. It's not usable. It's just gone. Another quote, I, there's variations of this quote out there, but it says, we're drowning in information while starving for wisdom. Have you ever noticed that the increase in information in our world has not made us any smarter? And it might have even made us a little lazier, which that's all right. I'm, I'm okay with technology, making things convenient. But for all the information and all the knowledge we have, are we any wiser? Knowledge and wisdom are different. There's a variety of ways to describe it, but it, you know, the sword illustration from this morning is one of the best. I can give you knowledge, and that knowledge in your, in your hand is a sword. Knowledge is like a weapon. It's a useful tool. It's something you can wield. The question is, how are you going to wield that knowledge? We see this all over Christianity, where we take the knowledge that we have and we use it for destruction when that wasn't what it was made for. I can give you information, and you can use that information to build up somebody or destroy them. Which is wise? Which one is wiser? Which one requires wisdom? The proper handling of the weapon makes you wise. 
Now, you know, they say knowledge is power, and it, actually that is very true. The information and the knowledge makes us powerful. What do we do with the power? Do we use it for the destruction of other people? If I stood up here and I confessed all my deepest, darkest secrets to you, and you had knowledge of every part of the real me, how would you use that knowledge? How do you use that knowledge of other people? How do you use that knowledge of your spouse or your children? You know the negative things. You have knowledge. What do you do with that knowledge? Do you wield that power to destruction, or do you use it wisely? Knowledge is very powerful. Here's a variation of a saying that we hear often. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing how and when to say it or whether you should say it at all. Knowledge is knowing what to say. You might have the answer, but wisdom would tell you when to say it, how to say it, or whether you should even say it at all. Isn't that true sometimes? You know, the Scripture talks a lot about not answering a foolish person with your wisdom because you just be trampled underfoot, right? Cast not your pearls before swine unless they turn and trample on you. You know, we have things that we can give and we choose whether or not to give it. The Proverbs talk a lot about a fool just likes to hear himself talk. And so when we have the answer, we want to be, oh, I got the answer, I got the answer. Don't you like having a conversation with a know-it-all? Because there's always an answer. Oh, oh, I have an answer for that. Oh, I have an answer for that. It's like for all your answers, you aren't wise. Because you just created a barrier in our relationship. Whether you're right or wrong. It isn't wise to just throw all that stuff out there. It's not to say that knowledge isn't valuable. That's, that would be silly. Knowledge is very valuable. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs eighteen fifteen: An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Knowledge is important. Did you learn anything this year? Anybody going through any formal schooling? Nobody's in school? Wow. There we go. We got a few. Formal education, that's a great way to gain knowledge. A lot of information, a lot of good stuff. Self-educating. Some of you are nerds like me and do lots of reading books that aren't even fun to read. Like, why do we do that to ourselves? I read two novels this year which is like a record for me. Why? We can self-educate. There's all kinds of books out there to give us knowledge. How do I deal with this situation? Go get a book. How do I deal with this situation? Go get a book. How do I teach on this? Get a book about it. Read about it. Educate yourself. Education is very important. It's good. Are you educating yourself? If you want to be wiser next year than you were last year, then you have to be taking in some knowledge and information and doing something with it. What about observing others? Did you learn anything by watching other people's lives? I don't know. I I witnessed something this morning that I want. I watched a grandfather pray for his grandchildren in a baby dedication. You don't see the multi-generational thing in the church all that often. Not with that kind of health and life. Can I gain some wisdom from what I witnessed this morning for those two kids? Wisdom in how to live, how to raise children, and where to go with life. Do you look at the lives of other people and gain wisdom from it? Not just knowledge, 
with the property, proper wielding of knowledge. So I got five quick things I want to go over with you. Uh, just some encouragements about approaching next year with wisdom or each day with some new, new uh, thoughts. The first one is this. Trust God regardless. Trust God regardless. We have circumstances in our life that give us the opportunity to question whether God actually cares. We lose someone we love when we don't think it was the right time. That's the biggest, most obvious one. Or we, we lose a young person. And we, we look at it, the situation, and we just think it's evil. How could God, fill in the blank, allow, condone, cause, whatever? How could that, how could that possibly be okay with God? And we get into this issue in our mortality where we're wrestling with whether or not God really is good. Because my experience in the loss of someone I love doesn't feel good. How could, that, how could that possibly be good? How could God be good? We are in process. We are an incomplete work. There are things going on that we cannot see. There's a realm well beyond the boundaries of this reality. And what is going on is a mystery to us. We can only evaluate based on what we see here. So when we ask ourselves questions like, why? Why did we have to experience this? Why did this have to happen? Why did this negative circumstance happen? We have to understand that we don't see the end result. We don't see the whole picture. The scripture teaches that we see dimly. We don't see clearly because we're very confined by God's design of what we can see and what we can understand. There's something going on beyond the boundaries of our reality that's actually bigger than our reality. And that this reality we're in now actually will go away. And the greater reality will one day be understood. The Bible teaches that when we're saved, we're a new creation, right? But the reality is, and we talk about this frequently, you're still carrying this flesh around that's dying and will die. How is it then that I'm actually saved right now? Well, we're in process. Even now, we are saved, but the process is not complete because the day comes when we get a new body, the Bible teaches us. We're in that process. We don't necessarily see the whole picture. So when we want to challenge God on His ways and we want to challenge God on how He handles His things, everybody, does anybody have God consult with you before He decides stuff? It's one of those things that's fun to think about. It's like, God didn't talk to me before he did that. What in the world? Well, of course he doesn't, because you don't get it. We can't get it. And so when we're looking at our lives and we're examining our year and we're challenged about whether or not we trust God, we have to come to a point where we're content with the mystery of God. We have to find the place of being content with the mystery of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, consider the work of God. Consider it. Think about it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can do that? From my point of view, it's crooked. Can I straighten it out? Nope. God chose in his 
sovereignty and all-knowingness and all his wisdom, he chose something that I can't change. And I have to trust that he chose what was right. I have to trust that he's just in his decisions. If we want to be wiser, we have to trust God regardless. Very difficult thing to do. Again, Ecclesiastes 7.14, the very next verse. In the day of prosperity, okay, when things are going good, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Enjoy it. It's good. And in the day of adversity, consider. God made one as well as the other. God made one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon understood that man can't understand what's coming outside of this realm. He refers to it a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. When he's trying to find wisdom. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God made one as well as the other. Are you okay with that? You will be wiser to pursue being okay with that. And finding peace with the fact that he's on the throne and you're not. It's a very important part of finding wisdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus' words. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? It's easy for us, in our, again, in our scientific, linear, proof-based thinking to think somehow that it's all up to us. Of course, Jesus is not advocating laziness. We're designed to sow and reap. Our lives reflect that. But when we start to get into the realm where we're not really believing that God's our provider or God's the one that holds all things together and somehow all of my decisions are going to make or break it, whose faith am I having? Who's, who's my faith in? In those circumstances, I'm believing in myself. I'm my own God. I'm the one that makes my own way. I'm the one that makes the decisions. That's foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. Consider what God has designed. The birds don't sow or reap, and yet God provides for them. He's still outside of the whole, He's holding the whole thing together. His word holds the very fiber of your being together. Sometimes we can get trapped into this thinking of, it's all up to me. I made the mistake, it's all over. I did it right, it should all work. Well, neither is true. Because God's the one on the throne. And you are not. Second one, so wisely. Not so wisely. So, as in seeds. So wisely. So, all day, every day, all the time, you are sowing. Did you know that? Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are sowing seeds towards the future, whether yours or someone else's. The books you read, the movies you watch, the conversations you have, the places you spend your time, all of that is sowing into your life. What kind of seeds are you sowing? The scripture is absolutely full of encouragement about the way we sow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You have that scripture up there? God will not be mocked. We, this gets taken out of context sometimes, but God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So if we're, this is funny about 
life. You know, we kind of think we're sneaky sometimes, and we're going to get away with it. We're going to get away with our little issues and this and that. But that's not how life works. That's not how God designed things. If you're sowing an apple seed into the ground, an apple tree you're going to get. Mm, Not in Montana. But you hear what I'm saying? Okay? I can't... I can't sow thorns or sticker bushes, napweed. There we go. There's a Montana one. I can't sow napweed in my vegetable garden and hope I'm going to get zucchinis. I mean, that's just a ridiculous thought. But the Scripture uses that illustration all the time to explain to us things about life and how to be wise. What am I sowing into my own life? Because it will produce something in time. So am I sowing wisely? We got a lot of uh, just very self-motivated philosophy, if you will, in the world. And it's like, do whatever makes you happy, follow your heart, blah, 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 life will work out just fine. Well, that's not true. You know, when I was 13, I wanted to be a professional video game tester. (laughs) No, I didn't, but you get the point. There actually are those, come to find out. That would be pretty cool. But for most of us, that isn't our reality. It wasn't a realistic thought. I can't sow into something that's not going to produce anything for me. It's like going to college and, you know, again, oh, man, there's so much pressure on kids when they go to college. It's like, you've got to choose what you're going to be when you grow up. And, boy, there's a lot of pressure to not make the wrong choice. And those of us that are on the other side of it are like, I don't know that it really works that way. God will lead you. Get a degree. Don't get one in underwater basket weaving. It's not going to do much for you. What are we sowing into? What are we investing into? Because we're going to reap something from it. Follow your heart, but take your brain with you. Right? Follow your heart, but take your brain with you. So wisely. Hosea chapter 10. I don't have the scripture for the board, but I wanted to read this to you anyway because I just really enjoyed it. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Sow, cast seeds, planting righteousness. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. That sounds good. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity. Iniquity is like internal sinful tendency. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Hosea is really challenging us with this idea. You, you, you know, and this is prophetic and it was for Israel, but we can learn something from it. You know, sowing in righteousness and reaping what is good from God. If I'm sowing in iniquity, if I'm sowing to please my sinful nature, if I'm sowing selfishly, I will reap the benefits of sowing selfishly. I, God's not mocked. He didn't design a system where you can sneak and plant something and get something else. He didn't design it that way. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And so if we want to be wiser people this year, we have to recognize what we're sowing and whether or not we want to be sowing something else. Third thing, embrace the new creation. Embrace the new creation. Well, what does that mean? 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We do this. So even though we're, we're born again, as the Scripture teaches, and we're a new creation, we're still carrying around the sinful nature on our back. It still is with us. It still plagues us. The issue is, do we embrace that and entertain it and continue to walk in it, or do we continue to try and separate ourselves from it? Do I continue to revel in my sinful nature after I've given my life to Christ? I can only expect destruction if that's what I do. So I need to embrace the new creation that God has made me. God has made you a new creation. In one sense, the sinful nature of who you are has died. We were buried, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Were you buried? Not literally. That would be weird. But what is he saying? Metaphorically, you were buried through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Ah, the, the very thought of newness of life is refreshing. It's why people get excited about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. I need something new. I need a newness of life. I need to turn a page. I need another chapter. I, I need a new day. But that's what Jesus did for you on the cross. He made you a new creation. You have the opportunity to embrace another life. Leaving the old behind. Leaving the sinful nature behind. Going on to be who God has called you to be. God has gifted you and he loves you and he wants you to walk in that. Wisdom would reach out to lay hold of the new. Endeavoring to leave the old behind. It's important. Here's one of my favorite out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We have a lot of Ecclesiastes 7 today, don't we? Say not... Why were the former days better than these? Don't say that. For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. It is not from wisdom that you ask this. Now, we've probably all done this. Ah, the good old days. Have you ever noticed that we look at our forefathers automatically as more noble and better than us? Isn't that an interesting thing? When, when someone is dead and gone and history is long behind us, we have a tendency to look back and, and hold what happened then in higher regard than we do today. And I would suggest that's wrong. But it's more than that. It's about your life. Why was last year so much better than this year? But it isn't from wisdom that you would ask such a question. It's kind of going back to that idea of trusting God regardless. Why are the old days better? It's all messed up now. Well, it's always been messed up from day one. Can we face that reality? Another one for you. Tame the tongue. Tame the tongue. Oh, man, if you want to be wise, tame your tongue. Let's read James chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses for you. You're all wondering why I have this giant pair of snips on the pulpit? I'll explain that in a minute. James chapter 3, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses 
so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, so just like this, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze with such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature has been tamed and can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Powerful stuff. How many times has your mouth gotten you in trouble? Lots of times, right? How many times does your mouth get you in so much trouble somebody punched you in the mouth? I'll close your mouth for you, mister. That happens. We've got to control our mouths. Here's a wise guy, Plato. Not the stuff your kids play with, Plato. <laughs> wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. Wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many... Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Oh, man, all those times words start, you know, when you stand in front of people like this and talk for an hour, stuff starts to come out, and you're like, no, come back. You can't take it back. It's out, and it reveals something or draws attention to something. We have to be very careful about what we let out of our mouths. And my last one for you. Avoid fools and foolishness. Avoid fools and foolishness. Chances are there's going to be a lot of foolishness going on tonight all over this city, right? A lot of partying going on, a lot of opportunity to engage in debauchery and ring in the new year, right? Well, the scripture is very clear that for us to spend our time with fools and in foolishness is a bad idea. Proverbs 13, 20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Illustrating the power of who you spend your time with. Bad company corrupts good character. Heard that saying? Here's some other ones for you. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Love that. A fool doesn't delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. There's just so many. There's verse after verse after verse in the Scripture teaching us about who we engage with and how we engage with them and how we spend our time with others. 
You want to be wiser this year? Spend less time with fools. Spend less time engaged in foolishness. And you'll be better off for it. So trust God regardless. So wisely, embrace your new creation. Tame your tongue and avoid fools and foolishness. Would you stand, please? Yes. Oh, you wanted to know the snips. Oh, I, I had a great illustration and I forgot it. Even though it was sitting ginormously on my pulpit. Well, remember the concept of the sword. It's like, I mean, what are these? Louder, louder. What are they? Snippers, Snippers shears, scissors, cutters. That's what they are. I was a sheet metal worker in my former life. And many a carpenter tried to get a hold of these from me, and I won't let, wouldn't let them use it, because they didn't know how to use it right. So you might know what it is, but it doesn't mean you know how to use it. It takes time and experience, and plus you could cut your finger off with these, man. They're awesome. Okay. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for blessing us in so many ways this year. Lord, we think of those who have been reflecting a lot in the last couple of months on their grief as they've celebrated the holidays, many of our friends and family. Lord, we pray that they would be comforted today and that they would be able to look forward, Lord, with hope and hopefulness. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, what a blessing it's been to me and my family over the years and yet another year has gone by and what a blessing it's been. We're so thankful. Lord, we pray for all those that will be out and about tonight and goofing off. Lord, I just pray for safety. I, I pray that, Lord, there wouldn't, the foolishness would be minimized, Lord. And people would be safe. God, we pray for a, a, a new day tomorrow and a new year to look ahead. God, we pray for your blessing upon the next year. Pray that you would guide us with wisdom as a church, as people in the community, even as a nation, Lord, we pray for your wisdom and guidance for all of us. Lord, as we plow on into the future. Lord, we do trust you. And we acknowledge that you're, you are a mystery and your ways are mysterious at times. But Lord, we, we confess that we trust you regardless. Pray that our faith would continue to increase for those things. In Jesus' name, amen.